What great songs we have sung today and how they relate and fit in with what we're about to do today, and that is to remember to observe our Lord's Supper. And so we're going to be in uh, Psalm 51, just part of the psalm. I'd like to do all the psalm, but we'd be here all day, so we're going to do a portion of it, the first 12 verses. And uh, I thought about something interesting the other day, and I want you to think about this for a minute. I don't believe that Jesus ever asked his disciples to remember his birth. Think about that for a minute. He doesn't say, remember my birth, but he instructed them, and thus he instructs us to remember his death and resurrection. Isn't that interesting? And here's what Jesus did along those lines. He gave his church, that's us, two visible reminders, two visible symbols, if you will. The first one being baptism, and the second one being the Lord's Supper. He gave that to the church and instructed us to be involved in that. And of course, we know uh, baptism is a great visual symbol, is it not? I believe we'll have a baptism next week. Looking forward to that. And we, we see the picture of the going under the water, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we also see what has happened to us as a believer. The old goes away, right? We're a new creation. So what that is a very visible a visual symbol. But the Lord's Supper is as well. Now, it's not quite as dramatic as a couple people being in the water and, and baptism, but when we come to the time where we take of the bread and the juice, it's a great visible symbol for what Jesus has done. So let us remember his death and resurrection. Let's read the first 12 verses of Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. And I just would write in the margin there, I wrote, ain't that the truth? Any of you relate to that? Yeah. Against you and you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Now, moms, hang in there. That, that doesn't mean it's your fault, okay? We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 6, surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you reach and excuse me, you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy, you see that, of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. So we're going to look at some threes today, all right? You'll notice in your sermon note there's some threes we're going to look at today. 
But what I want to just remind you of in Scripture, we are instructed that before we partake and observe the Lord's Supper, we're to do what? To examine ourselves. You familiar with that? And so we've got a number of helps here in this chapter to help us. So first I want to start with three words that we find right there in verse 1. And let us, uh, as we prepare to remember Jesus, let us remember what God does in our life. And the first word is gracious. Be gracious to me, God. The word here literally means to show favor. God's mercy. You may have the word merciful in your translation. You see, uh, King David writes this psalm and it's, it's kind of like a prayer for restoration. And right there, if you have uh, editor's notes in your Bible, you'll see that he wrote this after, Dave, after Nathan the prophet came to him after he had had the affair, et cetera, or whatever you want to call it, with Bathsheba. Everybody remember that story, right? So here's the context. And so he's he saying, be gracious to me, God. David relied completely on God's mercy, and we should as well. As we examine ourselves for the Lord's Supper, we should rely on God's mercy, not on what we have done or have not done. Isn't it interesting, before David ever mentions his sin, he first appeals to the graciousness of God. And notice his example for us. He does not try to justify it. Hello? You ever seen people do that? Maybe you have with sin. He does not try to justify it. And he does not try to blame someone else. Well, he would stick out in 2021, wouldn't he? As we blame. He says, be gracious. So let's remember that first word. This is what God does. He, he has graciousness. He has mercy. He is merciful. And he can provide that for us. The second word we see is according to your faithful love. And I like the old word here, loving kindness. It's got so much to it. But this is a picture of God being faithful. It's his faithful and covenantial love. It's where his graciousness comes from. It's where his, his mercy comes from. It comes from his love. And it is loyal and it is steadfast, it is good, and it is kind, loving kindness, faithful love. We can come and repent of our sins knowing that he loves us. Isn't this great to know? When I was a kid, I wasn't that interested in repenting at home because I got in trouble for something or found out with, with my parents. You know, that just wasn't that fun. Even though I knew they loved me, it just wasn't that fun. But with God, when we look at the love that he has for us, this faithful love, this loving kindness, we can come and share with him our sin. He already knows it, but share with him knowing that he loves us. And then the third word is compassion. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Verse 1 there. David, the king, seeks the compassion of God, even though he knows he does not deserve it. And I want you to just think about that for, for a minute. God gives us his 
compassion, as we examine ourselves, as, as we can confess, as we repent, he has compassion. And he, even though we don't deserve it, we receive it. And I think all we have to say, you know the first phrase of the famous verse, for God so loved the world. Stop. That's enough. He has compassion. And David speaks of his rebellion, his guilt, his sin. He pleads for God's compassion, and we should do the same. So I think I warned you a week ago or two weeks ago that we were going to pray in this service. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to get with at least one other person, if you will, someone close by. If you need to move right now, move. <laughs> we're going to pray in groups real quickly. We don't have time to go with real large groups. But would you just join together right now for a couple minutes with somebody and just pray a prayer of thanksgiving that God is gracious Pray a prayer of thanksgiving that God has this great faithful love and that he has compassion. Are you ready? Let's do that. Pray for just a moment. Join with somebody. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says I'm there. Oh God, what a sweet sound it is to hear your children thanking you, praising you for who you are, for your amazing attributes, that you are a gracious God with 
faithful love and great compassion. And God, we are thankful today. And we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate that. And then let's jump to verses 3 through 5, and we see three statements. So it's one thing to remember what God does. It's another thing to remember our sin. And if I could paraphrase these, you'll see in, in your sermon notes how I paraphrase these. Verse 3, David says, For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. The way I summarize that is just the fact that I am aware of my sin. The Christian, the true believer, is aware of their sin. The lost person may not. But if someone claims to be a Christian, he or she should be and is aware of sin. This is where we must begin. We often don't recognize that what we're doing is sin. We get busy or we uh, get in denial or we uh, start to justify things or blame things. But where we must begin is I am aware of my sin. And I just want to challenge you as you examine yourself today, take time to be aware. And then we get to verse 4. David says, against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So it's not enough to be aware of our sin. We must also acknowledge as we examine the fact that I know it's sin. If you're sinless, I want you to get up, go out the doors, go outside, get in your car, start it, turn it off, come back in and try again, okay? We are all sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. You know that great song, right? So we have to know that it's sin. Once we're aware of our sin, we should acknowledge that we're sinning, by definition, against God. Against God. Why? He is our holy king. It is his standards that we break. Yes, David sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah and against the nation. But ultimately, it was sin against God. We should be serious about our sin. Don't you agree? If we have the, the viewpoint and the understanding that it is sin against God, not just this person or that person or this organization or this situation or just messing us up, but it is sin against God, then we will know that it is sin. David's consistent here. When the prophet Nathan came to him, and expose David's sin. You remember the amazing story where you cut her a pin drop, right? He confessed this in 2 Samuel 12, 13. I have sinned against the Lord. That's what he said. May we realize that in our, in our lives. And then we get to verse 5. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. I phrased it like this. My sin... Just talking about me now. My sin comes from my nature. My nature. I think this is a highly perceptive statement or verse. David is not blaming his mother for his sin, okay? He's confessing what we call the doctrine of original sin. Have you heard that? When our grandpa and grandma, Adam and Eve, sinned, 
sin entered the world and every person, every human, human being from them on till Jesus comes back, till we're ushered into heaven, every human being is stained with sin. Oh, but what about that sweet little darn it? No, they're sinners. Anybody had kids or grandkids in here? Don't touch that. <laughs> Go clean your room. Oh, I already have. And you open the door and you're like, God help us, right? Yeah. Yes, we're all sinners. And it comes from our nature. So we need to understand that. David is confessing his sin and taking full responsibility for it. And I think that's what's important. When we acknowledge that it is us, it is our nature, then we can take responsibility for that. He is confessing something amazing, I think, here. There was never a moment in his existence when he was not a sinner. I'd have you look at the person next to you and tell them that, but that might be depressing for them. But you can kind of glance over just out of your good eye and sinner all, all along. That person's a sinner, right? So let me ask you this question. When is the last time you took responsibility for your sin? I did this morning in my own life. What about you? We are to be aware of our sin. We must acknowledge and know that it is sin and that it comes from our sin nature, the fallen state of our world, the, the original sin that stains us. So let's remember that. So we're going to pray again. And we're not going to do this one in groups. I want you to do this one by yourself. because, And I don't want you to pray out loud. I, but I want you to spend time with the Lord and acknowledge and confess any sin that he brings to mind as we examine ourselves. You know something, church? I've learned something in my life. If I ask the Lord to reveal any sin in my life, guess what happens? Anyone want to guess? He does it. And for me, it is like, so if you have to sit there and ponder all day, I don't know, ask the Lord, he'll, he'll let you know. So let's just spend a couple minutes, just you and the Lord praying right now in this quiet moment, and would you just go ahead and acknowledge and confess any sin that he reveals to you? Let's pray.
Lord, today we acknowledge our sin. We repent, we confess our sin to you. It's different for each one of us. We claim the promise from your word. If we confess our sin, that you are faithful, that you will forgive, that you will cleanse us. So we ask for that today as we examine our lives before the Lord's Supper. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So it is good to remember that. And then we're going to go to verses 7 through 9 this morning and see three things that I think David wanted God to do. And it should be three things as we remember, as we think about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There's, we should want God to do these things as well. As we confess, we should ask God, uh, we see in verse 7, purify me. In verse 7, wash me. In verse 9, blot out. Action words, action phrases. Purify me. Purify means to purge. It's based on the word for sin. It literally means, are you ready? To de-sin, as in D-E hyphen sin. Descend me, God. David wanted to have his sin completely purged away. He did not want to retain even a stain of it. And that should be our prayer. God, would you just continually do this? Would you just keep purifying me? And then he asked that God would wash him, wash me. And I'm reminded of Isaiah 1, 18. You know the verse. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. David wanted to be washed until he was as clean as that. As snow is white, as the lamb's wool is white. And then he, in verse 9, uh, says, Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Blot out my guilt. Blot out refers to removing writing from a book. That's the picture they would have of this. Perhaps even removing an indictment. It was written there and it's removed. And we join in asking God to completely remove our guilt. Not so we may have great standing with others, not so we may get this position, not so whatever it is, but just the fact that it's ours, blotted out God. Please do that. Now, I want to tell you something. Purifying, washing, blotting out comes, these actions come at a great, with a great cost. With a great cost. With Jesus dying for us, it comes. And the phrase there is purify me with hyssop. Hyssop is an interesting word that's listed in the Bible because of its shape and structure. It was used as like a small brush. So grow a hyssop, a hyssop plant and then, you know, cut it off. And then when you're ready to paint the house, uh, go ahead and do it. Well, maybe not for precise cuts, but think about it. It was used in the ceremonies of the temple. It was used to, guess what? Sprinkle blood. The first time it's mentioned in the Bible is at Passover when the Jews were leaving Egypt. Do you remember that? When they're hastily getting ready to go to leave uh, slavery. 
And Exodus 12, 22 says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. Next, we are told how hyssop was used to sprinkle blood on one who had been healed of some infectious skin disease. You get in the picture? Also as an act of ceremonial cleansing, Leviticus 14 in a couple spots. And also hyssop was used in a similar ceremony with blood to cleanse one who had defiled himself by touching a dead body, Numbers 19. So when these readers saw purify me with hyssop, they knew so much more about that than we do. The blood, the blood. And as we remember the Lord, we, we think of what? His body and the blood. Let me read to you Hebrews 9, 19 through 22. For when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the, and all the people. Can you picture this? Saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And you know this phrase, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission of sin. We must come to God as David did. We need forgiveness badly. And it is only because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we may find mercy. And my question this morning for you is this. Have you found mercy? Have you been forgiven of your sin? Has God been working in your life, drawing you to himself, giving you the faith for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works what we do so that none of us would boast has you have you had that happen in your life where God has done that and you have found the mercy the grace of God have you been saved in John chapter 3, Jesus, speaking with Nicodemus, called it born again. Has that happened in your life? Listen, you can examine your life all you want, but you are prohibited from partaking of the Lord's Supper if this has not happened in your life. If you are not born again, if God has not saved you, has that happened in your life? It could happen right now. You could, you could right now pray to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. And I am remembering today, and I know, Jesus, that you love me and that you died and paid the penalty for my sin. And you alone can forgive me and cleanse me, that I can repent and run to you, and you will save me. You are the God who saves and you will come in and, and the Holy Spirit will come in and take residence up in me. And you will be my Savior and my Lord. 
You will be the, the boss, the master of my life. I want you to think about that for a minute. So we need to ask forgiveness and we need to request God for this. So after we have confessed, now let's just turn to him for a moment and let us just spend just another minute with the Lord just by yourselves in the quiet of the moment affirming first of all that God has saved you, that you are born again, that you have that relationship with him. And if so, thank him for that. And if not, ask him to come in and just gloriously save you to begin new life with Christ. And then as we do that, would you just say, God, purify me, wash me, blot out my guilt. God, I acknowledge you can do that because of the shed blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Would you pray? God, we thank you that as we confess our sin, that you are faithful to act, and that you and you alone can act in forgiveness. And we're grateful that because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that we find your mercy, not just at the moment of regeneration, of transformation, of salvation, of being born again, but also each and every day. We thank you. As we examine our lives, we remember this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's finish up with verses 10 through 12. Three requests for inward renewal. So it is my prayer. And have you noticed I make kind of a big deal of the Lord's Supper? It's not just a tag on to, to a great service or whatever. Because I believe that as we examine, as we are resolute, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we remember, as we remember, as we remember, we are changed. It is always my prayer. The moment we say amen and the service is over, that we who have partaken of our Lord's Supper, we go out changed. Whatever it is for you. Perhaps it's a sin that's been confessed. Perhaps it's a reminder of this or that. Whatever it is, we are changed. And so David, uh, 
uniquely, I think, has three requests for inward renewal. And that's the part of the changing I want to think about. Unfortunately, we don't go out 10 pounds lighter. That'd be great. I'd take it. You know, or we're taller. Or some hair has regrown. Or whatever it is for you, whatever your issues are. I don't know. I have my own issues, okay? But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about inward renewal. And he begins in verse 10. He says, create a clean heart for me, God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. So the first request is for a clean heart. And the word that begins this section is the Hebrew verb bara, which is used, interestingly enough, in Genesis 1 for the creations of the heaven and the earth by God. It's the same word. And it describes something. Think about creation for a minute. Something that only God can do. See, God creates out of nothing as only God can. We create all kinds of things, but it's not out of nothing. But that's how God created the heavens and the universe. And the same word is here, with create here. With the word create, David asked for nothing less than a miracle, like the miracle of creation. It's a miracle, God, and I'm asking for it. I want a clean heart. And he acknowledges that only God can do that. And in verse 11, he says, Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Even if God should recreate him, David is still worried that he might fall into sin again. Have you ever noticed how we fall into sin again? Sometimes, hopefully not all the time. So he prays for this steadfast spirit in verse 10. But here David, when he says, do not banish me, he's not talking about eternal security. He's not talking about the fear of losing his salvation. Don't let people tell you that. He's acknowledging, he's only acknowledging that he is unable to live a holy life without God. Do we remember that today? God, do not banish me because I realize if I'm doing it on my my own, I will miserably fail. Have you ever tried to do it on your own? How does that go? And I mean, even after being a Christian, we try to do things on our own. And it doesn't end well. We must acknowledge that it is God holy life with God who can help us. He needs the help, the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 11. Every single moment if he is to be able to overcome temptation and follow after godliness. And then we get to the famous verse, verse 12. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Now that's interesting, isn't it? I've heard this quoted many times. Restore the joy of my salvation. Have you ever heard that? It's not what it says. It says, restore the joy of, capital Y, your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. The final request is that God would restore the joy of salvation. David is not praying that God would restore his salvation as if he had lost it and needed to get it back. It's what? It is the joy of It is the joy of it that David had lost. Picture David in his sin. Can you imagine when David sinned, when he was not going off to war like he should have been, that kings do, and he observed this beautiful lady bathing, and he called for her, and he committed adultery. Do you remember the story? And then he tried to cover it up and get the husband back home from the war 
So it can, I mean, it's like, it's like a, one of those Hallmark movies you guys watch. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's like, so it'll look like it's his child. And no, the husband, he, he had a duty. He would not go in and be with his wife or anything. He stayed outside, and then he goes back to war. And then David covers up more and has this scheme about what we're going to do. Put him out there. Let's pull back. And he basically, in an indirect way, murders Uriah, can you picture what it must have been like? Can you pick David, a man after God's own heart, right? Can you picture what he must have been going through day after day, week after week? What must have weighed so heavily upon him? And can you picture that moment when the prophet Nathan tells the story and says, you're that guy. And it's as if, I think David's life exploded. And he began the process of mourning and confessing and being cleansed again, what that must have been like. I'm going to tell you right now, I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure he had lost the joy of God's salvation. And here he is asking again, restoration of it, restoration of it. Listen to this statement. When one lives in unconfessed sin, fellowship with God is broken. You cannot have right fellowship with God if you have unconfessed sin. Well, Lamar, that's a bold statement to make. No, that simply means God is holy and he can have nothing to do with sin. And we must come and be forgiven of that. Restore the joy of your salvation. Think about this. Sin brings sorrow Righteousness brings rejoicing. Allowed to continue, sin will remove every good thing from our lives. Only righteousness will restore them. So I want you to think about that. So I want want to this time lead us in prayer. So would you just get alone with God for a minute and allow me to lead us in prayer, just asking God to give inward renewal in our life whatever that is for each one of us. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we recognize, as we have just read earlier, that you purify us with hyssop, with your blood, and that you make us clean. And we ask, God, that we would be changed as we reflect upon uh, your Lord's Supper, as we observe it, Lord, as we examine ourselves, that we would be changed. There would be some type of inward renewal in our lives life. And I want to pray for each person in this room this morning, each person online, that as we are praying right now, you would begin, just start it, God, begin some uh, aspect of inward renewal in our lives. And God, I just want to thank you right now for what you're going to do. I want to thank you for how you're going to speak into our lives, for how you're going to create a clean heart in us how you're not going to banish us from your presence you're not going to take the Holy Spirit away from us but you're going to be active in our lives we're grateful for that and God I thank you for restoration even of joy that comes in being a child of the King so we ask for this in your name we pray So I say to you guys today, now that we have examined our lives and we've 
use Psalm 51 to help us with that. Let us now remember. So our ushers work hard to get these into your hands, but perhaps one of you sprinted in this morning or you slipped in. And so we're going to need you to lift your hand. There's hands going up already. So ushers, if you would begin to, uh, don't whistle at them, just wave at them. <laughs> we're going to get these out so you may partake. Everybody up here good? All right. Raise it up high so we can see it. Thank you. Still some in the back. Oh, we've got quite a few right here in the middle, guys, if anyone has more in your basket. We shall wait. Will, right in front of you. We've got about four or five or six right over here in the middle. Yep, here she comes. Thank you. I think it's so awesome to see uh, students helping. Isn't that great? It just reminds me of what the church should be, multi-ethnic and multi-generational. So thank you for doing that. We like you old guys too. <laughs> Everybody got one? All right, let's focus in again now on what we're going to do. We're going to remember what Jesus has done from the book of Mark. Verse 14, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 22, it says this. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them, and said, take it. This is my body. So what we're going to do is just peel back the film. And I'd like for you to hold it up once you've done that. You were faster than I was. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus. There was a rescue plan for us. And we acknowledge that you died for us, gave your body for us, and we remember. Let's do that, church. Then in the next two verses of Mark 14, it says this, Then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and so they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many. I want you to think about that for a minute. It is shed for many. You put your name there. It is shed for Lamar. It is shed for, you put your name in there. Let's hold them up. And God, we thank you and we give thanks for the shed blood of Jesus Christ shed for us so that we may have forgiveness of sin. The penalty was taken care of. And God, today we remember Jesus' blood. In your name we pray, amen. Let's take it. And I just remind you, there's nothing mystical 
or magical about what we call the elements. It's, it's just a reminder. It's, it's sensory, isn't it? As we felt it, as we chewed it, as we drank it, as the senses were involved and our, our minds and hearts are engaged, we remember what Jesus has done for us. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, it's always kind of a serious sermon to me. I, I feel like I didn't get to yell enough this morning, so um, get ready for next week when we start Ruth, all right? I'm going to find a couple little boxes to get up on, and no, I'm not going to do that. Let us close out our service, this portion of it, with, uh, with prayer as we have remembered. God, we thank you for your instruction as you partake, which we have done. Remember me, which we have done. God, we're reminded today that you're gracious, loving, and compassionate. We're reminded today that we are to confess our sin, to examine ourselves. We're reminded today that you are faithful to forgive and to cleanse, and we thank you for that. We're reminded today, God, that you work in our lives, that you prune us from the inside, that there are areas of renewal that are sparked in our lives, in our relationship with you. So today we remember and we thank you. And God, I thank you for each person that's here. God, I pray for those who are not yet believers, that one day they would be able to partake and remember because they have been cleansed, they have been saved. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.